You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. We're going to welcome Josh now, who's going to talk to us today. So can we give him a warm welcome, please? Wait till you've heard the talk before you clap, please. Um, well, uh, good afternoon. It is uh, such a joy to be here. I have, um, we've been doing church every other week, and so we, we can't wait to do it every single Sunday. Um, Hannah and I, my wife, and our baby have been away for two weeks on holiday, so we've not been in church for, I think, a month. So uh, it's a real joy to be here with you. And um, if you've got a Bible, uh, get it ready to hand. Um, I'll let you know which passage we'll be looking at. But over the last few months, we've been journeying through the Psalms, so hint, it will be one of the Psalms. Um, I think I've asked this question before, but put your hands up if you like change. Maybe pre-pandemic, some of you would have gone like, yeah, I love change. But the last 18 months have really been characterized as um, a time of significant change, haven't they? Everything we thought we knew everything we thought we were in control of, all of a sudden, almost overnight, completely shifted. Over the last 18 months in the pandemic, our world has been rocked. Our idols have been shattered, our fears realized, in many cases, our grief awakened as we've experienced trauma. There has been a shaking in and out of the church. There has been loss. It has been a time of great change. In 1991, a man called William Bridges, whose job title was a change consultant, interesting job title, he created a model on change and transition called the transition model. And in this, he submits that in every moment or season or time of change, there are three stages. Now, this could relate to something like a um, change of job or, or house move or change in schools or moving cities or loss of a family member, but I think we've seen it perfectly played out in the pandemic. Stage one, he says, is what he calls the ending, the loss, and the letting go of what was. In stage one of any form of change, there is the death of something. There is the moment of change. Stage one is where we come face to face with our loss, our grief, and on some level experience trauma. We've seen that, haven't we, in the pandemic. Everything changed in a moment. We can't see our family or friends. We can't leave the house. We can't gather freely as a church. That was that moment of loss. And he says, William says, that at this stage, people might experience the following emotions, fear, denial, anger, sadness, disorientation, frustration, uncertainty, a sense of loss. How many of us experienced some of that over the last 18 months? I know I did. The second stage Bridges describes, he calls it the neutral zone, the neutral zone. He said it's like an in-between moment, a moment of transition, of waiting, of silence, a gap in the middle, a time of frustration where we ask questions, what's happening? There's confusion. When 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 will we be free? When will the new season begin? When will we experience freedom? When can I maybe see my family or friends again? And he says that people experience these emotions, anger, 
low morale, a low productivity, anxiety about what comes next. But interestingly, he says that this in-between time can be one of great innovation, creativity, and renewal. I think we've seen some of that in the church over the last 18 months as we've shifted from simply going to church to being the church and watched as God's done some remarkable things. And the final stage of every moment or season of change that I think we are on the cusp of is the new beginning, the new season. It's when we embrace the future with hope. It's when we look forward. It's when we step into new life because, guys, new life is always on the horizon. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling stuck. You're feeling trapped. You're feeling held back. You're always looking backwards. You're consumed with anxiety or worry. Even as we step into this new time, you need to know God is doing a new thing. There is new life right around the corner. And this is the final stage of change. We have a new beginning, a rebirth, a new life, a fresh season. And the reason I bring this up is because whenever we step into a new season, we have an opportunity as individuals, as a community, as a church, we have an opportunity afresh to define how we want to live and what will mark us in this new season. As a church, we sense that we are on the cusp of something new as we head into September with the church relaunch. Hopefully, God willing, the continued journey out of the pandemic, we are gifted an opportunity to decide again as we move forward what kind of followers of Jesus we are going to choose to be, what kind of church we want to be. As I was praying about this message earlier in the week, I had this picture of um, like a bow and arrow and the, and, and the drawstring was being pulled back. And it was the sense that there's just latent potential waiting to be unleashed in our community, in our city. The most powerful thing about a bow and arrow is, the most important thing is which direction it's facing. If it's missing the mark, it can go completely in the wrong direction. I sense God is calling us back just to readjust and reimagine the kind of people we want to be as we step into the new season. And I want to call us back to a theme or a topic that I just feel like the Lord's been putting on my heart for a while. Um, something to aim at, something to shoot towards, something to, to press into in this new season. And it's this, it is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We've discovered, haven't we, over the course of the pandemic, that we are not in control of as much as what we thought of. We are not that in control. There's a lot that is outside of our control, but there are some things that we can choose. A while back, John did a sermon series called As For Me, where Joshua says, like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think this is another as for me moment where we get to choose the fear of the Lord. So let's talk about the fear of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 128. If you have a Bible, if you don't, do not worry. The words will appear magically on the screen behind me. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. Let, let, me, let me read this out and then unpack it a little bit says this, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. 
May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. It's a beautiful psalm. In fact, it's one of my favorite psalms. The fear of the Lord. It's something we don't often talk about that much. Maybe we don't really think about the fear of the Lord. I think it's often misunderstood. I think it's often ignored, sometimes cast to the wayside. You maybe never heard of the term, the fear of the Lord, before, and you're like, oh no, what is this? If you're new here, this is an awkward thing to talk about. But hopefully over the next few minutes, I will unpack a little bit about what that really means. I think the fear of the Lord is one of the most confusing aspects of followers four followers of Jesus to wrap our heads around. Because we are told time and time again that Jesus sets us free from fear. As we are on the journey of following Jesus throughout the Bible, we are offered this hope that Jesus can bring a life free from fear. We are all on a journey away from fear and anxiety and worry and distrust into the love of God. The most common command in the Bible is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Time and time again, we're told that Jesus can bring us peace in the midst of fear. Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out fear. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. If God is with us, who shall we fear? And yet time and time again throughout the scripture, we're told to fear the Lord. Let me give you some Bible verses for this church. Proverbs 9, 10. Some of these will come up on the screen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 86, David prays this, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Isaiah tells us that the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. The book of Job, Job's faithfulness is summed up when he is described as a blameless and upright man who fears God. In the New Testament, Mary says this. She says, the Lord's mercy is for those that fear God from generation to generation. Jesus, when he's describing the unrighteous judge, he says, he describes him as one who neither feared God or respected man. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, since we have these promises, the promises of God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And finally, here's a pivotal passage on the fear of God. This is a picture of Jesus, the Messiah, from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament about how Jesus will be filled with the Spirit of God. And it says this, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, that's Jesus, a spirit of wisdom, and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and his delight, the delight of Jesus will be in the fear of the Lord. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's interesting. Part of the work and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus was to cultivate the fear of of the Lord, the Holy Spirit that's in the room with us now, that we welcome, that we invite, that we're going to pray to, that Holy Spirit brings the fear of the Lord. Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. It led Jesus to a place of joy. Fascinating. The fear of the Lord. Okay, let's define it. Or actually, let's talk about what the fear of the Lord is not. The fear of the Lord is not at all 
about being afraid of God. Okay? You can all relax. The fear of God is not about fear in a sense of terror or horror or distress or anxiety. It's not about being scared of God at all. The fear of God doesn't lead to distance from God. Instead, it leads to proximity to God. It doesn't lead to being afraid in any sense. Instead, it leads to joy and delight. The fear of the Lord doesn't lead to anxiety. It leads to peace. Interestingly and and truthfully, fearing God and loving God are the same thing. A few years ago, I was running an Alpha course, and there was a lady on our table who had grown up in a very religious background, and we were talking about how God loves people, and, and God being the perfect father who just wants best for his kids and what was blessing for his kids. She said, there's no way I could believe that. I was like, why? She said, well, all the time I was growing up, I was taught that God is angry with me, and God is watching me and waiting for me to fail and mess up, and he's just and so she was terrified of God. And we were able to talk to her and say, actually, that understanding of the Lord is not what it's like at all. God is so good and so kind and so merciful. That is not what the fear of the Lord means. Simon Ponsonby, the famous Bible teacher from St. Aldate's in Oxford, a brilliant Bible teacher, he says this, that the fear of the Lord is about having a sense of awe, wonder, and delight. And loving your beloved so much that you'd be afraid to hurt him. A sense of, oh God, I love you so much. I don't want to hurt you. I love you. Every word, thought, and deed goes through a filter of like, does this please my beloved? Does this honor him? Fearing God is about letting God be God. And we choose to live in such a way that places God in his rightful Place Fearing God is about loving God above all else. It's about seeing God for who he is and sitting a posture of reverence and honor and awe. Pope Francis says this about the fear of the Lord, which I really like. He said, the fear of the Lord, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, as we read in Isaiah, doesn't mean being afraid of God since we know that God is our Father who always loves us and forgiveness, but instead it is a joyful awareness of God's grandeur and a grateful realization that only in him do our hearts find true peace. It is a grateful, joyful, sorry, awareness of God's grandeur and a grateful realization that only in him do our hearts find true peace. This isn't a fear like we're afraid of God. This is a joyful, wonderful, holy sense of awe and wonder. It's remarkable. Do we know what the fear of the Lord is not? And at the same time, I, I want to be careful not to sanitize God. I, don't want to, I want to be careful not to put God in a box and diminish his power and his glory and his majesty and his wonder. In Hebrews 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, this picture of the fear of the Lord, for our God is a consuming fire. God is wild. God is untamed. We cannot put God in a box. There is no box big enough to contain him. Our minds can't fully comprehend him. I love this quote, famous quote, C.S. Lewis, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, says this, Aslan, this picture of Jesus. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said the beaver. 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God isn't safe or comfortable. He was wild and beautiful and glorious. Fearing God is having an understanding and a vision of who he is and saying, God, I love you and I honor you and I want to worship you. So Psalm 128 A fascinating aspect of the fear of the Lord as we connect it with the psalm is that when we fear the Lord, we become aligned and realigned with heaven's reality. As we read this psalm, the fear of the Lord, we discover is the gateway to the blessing of God. Living in the fear of the Lord constantly and consistently, that place of humility, that place of worship, that place of love, that place of surrender, makes us magnets for the favor and the blessing of the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads to the blessing of the Lord. And this is what I want to focus on in the next few minutes. Read verse one with me. It's what it says. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. How many of you know right now in our world, everyone is chasing blessing. Everyone longs to live the blessed life, a life of wholeness and joy, a life of freedom, of deep satisfaction, of completeness in every area of our life, of freedom from anxiety and worry, a life of abundance and fullness and fulfilled relationships. We're all searching for it. Everyone in the world is searching for this, and yet so many people search in the wrong place. People chase money or career or sex or relationships or profile or popularity in search of the blessed life. Me always comes first in this. We grind, we work, 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 we strive, we try and climb the ladder of success. We want to be popular with people, we want to just earn enough and then maybe we'll be happy, we will be blessed. And yet all of that is like sipping salt water, it doesn't scratch the itch. Even as Christians, I wonder if you can relate to this, if we're honest, we ache for the blessed life. We hunger, we thirst, we strive for it. We bargain with God. You ever done that? We we tick boxes, we try and do the right thing. We find God, I'll go to church, but please do this for me. We, We pray just in the hope that maybe our life will go well. The ache searching for blessing might disappear. But the psalmist here teaches us that a life under the fear of the Lord A life that truly lives with God as number one, pursuing him, his kingdom, his ways, his values, promises us that every part of our life, every part of our world, every part of our home, and even our city will come under the blessing of God as we step under the fear of the the Lord. And here are four ways that our life and our city will be blessed beyond measure by our choice and our decision here today to lean into the fear of God. My first point, if you're making notes, is this. The fear of the Lord leads to fruitfulness. The fear of the Lord leads to fruitfulness. Verse two and three. Let's read this together. It says this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Verse two, sorry. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. God's desire is to bless you. Hannah and I had a baby 
about 11 months ago, just over 11 months ago. And um, she was, she's our first daughter, her name's Ivy. She's out there somewhere having lunch. And uh, if she was in here, she'd be screw, like, shouting. Um, she's just found a voice and it is piercingly loud. Uh, it's horrible. And um, as a father, like I'd never experienced this emotion before, but like I adore her in a way that I didn't think was possible. And I want her to be blessed. I, want, I, I just want her to be, I don't want her to get everything that she wants because she doesn't know what's going to bless her. But I want her to be blessed and to step into God's best for her. And I think that's what blessing really means. Stepping into the fullness, the abundant life of what God has for us. Because if we got everything we wanted right here, right now, that probably would not bless us that much. It would probably ruin our life. But actually the blessed life as God sees it is one of abundance and beauty and blessing. And yet we sometimes don't often think that God loves to bless his kids, especially as we journey out of a season of pain and disappointment and brokenness. God still wants to bless you. In fact, God is blessing you. The language in this psalm says this, you will eat the fruit of your labor, the fruit of your labor. The blessing of God is not a quick fix blessing. It's not like God is a slot machine, like we put in the coin, we say a prayer, boom, new Lamborghini. This talk is not like five steps to how to get God to give you what you want in life. But the blessing of God as we embrace it and step into it and open our lives up to it is one where we see the favor of God on our life and on our work. This is the long haul consequence of faithfulness to God is that you become a magnet for the favor of God. You will reap where you sow. God's hand will be upon your work and your efforts. This is reversing of the original curse. And it said that those that place themselves, it's a promise, this is crazy, under the fear of God, position themselves to receive from the Lord. Ivy, my daughter, is in a place where she wants what she wants here and now. And if she doesn't, she will let us know about it. But actually fearing the Lord means God comes first and the blessings will follow when God appoints. Love that passage in Matthew 6, 33. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Another word, way of saying that is fear the Lord, fear the Lord. And everything that you're worried about, everything else in your life will be taken care of as you say yes first to Jesus. As you say yes first to Jesus, and when we live with that worldview, God leads us to fruitfulness. God leads us to fruitfulness. This isn't always material fruitfulness. This isn't always financial fruitfulness. It's far bigger than that. But the principle here is that for those that fear the Lord and live with God first, God takes care of us. It's the way God set it up. Marriages thrive when God is at the center. Creativity explodes when God is at the center. Relationships become healthy or go on the journey towards health. Work finds meaning. These things become opportunities for God to move. The fear of the Lord leads to fruitfulness. Secondly, the fear of the Lord leads to multiplication. This is a picture now in the psalm of of Hebrew blessing, the blessed life as it was for the Hebrews Hebrew culture, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. It's a beautiful picture. Does this mean that the blessing of God means everyone's going to get married and have lots of babies? No, it doesn't. 
But it's a picture here of relational blessing and multiplication. When we fear God, when we live under the fear of the Lord, when we put him first, we begin to step into God's economy where multiplication is the norm. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson who wrote a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction and he journeyed through the 15 Psalms of Ascent that the Jewish people would sing on the way to Jerusalem. This is one of them. And this is what he says. He says, blessing has inherently in it the power to increase. Blessing has inherently in it the power to increase. How? By giving blessings away. He goes on to say that blessing functions by sharing and by delight in life. The characteristic of blessing is to multiply. In other words, as we give away simply what we have, as we share with others, we see remarkable increase. When we live under the fear of the Lord, we see multiplication in our life and in our ministry, in our church, and in so many other ways in our relationships. As we simply give away what we have, God turns it and multiplies it. So God, the fear of the Lord leads to fruitfulness. The fear of the Lord leads to multiplication. Finally, the fear of the Lord brings life to our city. Love this verse, verse four and five. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of our life. Not only do we become magnets for the blessing of the Lord, but when a community, a church, sits under the fear of God and has our hearts inclined towards worship, radical surrender, radical generosity, seeking first the kingdom, when we're marked by the fear of the Lord, it's impossible for our city to stay the same. It's impossible for it to stay the same. It's impossible for our streets to stay the same. It's impossible for our homes to stay the same. We live as a church, as a city on a hill, and people will see the vineyard, what they're doing. There's something different about those guys who don't compromise, who live differently, who give radically generously to their city. Why? It's because we live under the fear of the Lord. For as long as I can remember, when I became a Christian at 14, I longed to see revival. I longed to see God do something spectacular in our time, in our city. Hannah and I often say, like, we, we, we'll give our lives. Unless the Lord leads us elsewhere, we're going to give the next 30, 40, 50 years of our life to sow into this church and this city because we believe that God is going to do something remarkable. For as long as I can remember, I have hungered and thirsted for God to do something remarkable. I remember being 15, one of the first Christian books I got, apart from my children's books, was like, um, like an, a biography on of Smith Wigglesworth. He was a wild man. Like He would like punch people, and they would get healed. <laughs> I'm not saying we do that. He would say he punches the demons, but um, it's not a model that we now follow. But... I just, it, there was a move of God and it was remarkable and I remember reading thinking, oh God, would you do something like that but gentler in our time? Would you do something in our city? And I want to submit to every single one of us today, no matter where you are on your journey with Jesus, if you're new to faith, if you're still exploring faith, if you've been a Christian for 50 years, I want to submit to us today that if we want to see a revival in our time, if we want to see an awakening in our city and our nation, if we want to spend our days seeing a harvest be 
reaped for the name of Jesus, we've got to come under the fear of the Lord. We must delight ourselves in the fear of the Lord. Simon Ponsonby from St. Audates, he says, the fear of the Lord has fallen by the wayside in the church, and yet it is critical to see revival. If we want to see revival in our homes, in our hearts, in our, in our city, on our streets, we've got to be a community that fears the Lord. And Alan Scott, I don't have time to unpack this, but Alan Scott said in a recent sermon he did on the fear of the Lord, which is brilliant, he's the pastor of Anaheim Vineyard in the States, he said the fear of the Lord is the wineskin for the works of the Lord. If we want to see the miraculous, if we want to see the power of God breaking into our reality today, he says the fear of God, that, that place of worship and surrender and submission and humility is the sustainer and protector of moves of God and the breaking out of the miraculous. Finally, the fear of the Lord, fruitfulness, multiplication, um, the fear of the Lord brings life to the city, and finally, the fear of the Lord leaves a generational legacy. Verse six says this, may you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Final blessing that we're given coming under people that fear the Lord is that we leave a legacy beyond ourselves. How many of you know that life is short? We've been made aware of that more than ever over the last few months. We're all trying to make our mark and leave something behind. A lot of people maybe just live for today. But I think if you want to do something significant with our time, we have to think about legacy. Think about the difference we will make and live for a generation that is not yet here. In the book of James, it says life is like a vapor. It's like here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that will cause our lives to leave a kingdom mark is not wealth, it's not success, it's not acclaim, it's not popularity, but it's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And I want to encourage every single one of us today, I know it's a topic we don't often talk about, but to start considering what it looks like for whole life surrender to Jesus. Everything we do and think and say, our relationships, what we do with our bodies, our finances, every aspect of our life, what would it look like if we began or continued to just say, Jesus, you have it all. Would you come and take residence over this? Would you come and breathe life over this? Would you come... I want to seek first the kingdom in this new season like never before and just watch what God does. Watch how God brings vitality and life and fruitfulness and abundance and flourishing as we put Jesus first. Amen. You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Thank you.